Scripture, sender of the holy prophets and holy apostles, the head of the church, our Savior, our sin offering, the true unblemished Lamb, the Holy One of Israel. We praise you and you alone. We magnify you and you alone. We exalt you and you alone. We are called to you and you alone. And we thank you for absolutely breathtaking gift of our adoption. We thank you for the promises that come with it. We thank you that you are opening our eyes and opening our ears to your voice. We pray today that you would one more time unlock your word to us, that each of us would receive your truth and be sanctified by it. We pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God today. For this set-apart group, on this set-apart day, for your set-apart purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start off with another, uh, another reading from Psalm 119. Sorry for the technical difficulties for you online watchers. We were just trying to let you see the whiteboard. So someone's going to read for us real loud Psalm 119, the first 16 verses. That'd be awesome if someone wants to volunteer. All right. Thank you, Lizzie. This is Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. Lord, give us ears to hear. So we're being reminded that what God wants and what is best for us are one and the same thing. And I love when things are simple and understandable 
even for simple people like myself, but especially in times that can be confusing. And God is just being super, super clear with me as we turn the page of a calendar. It's not specifically God's calendar, but it's the calendar that much of the world operates on. There's just this opportunity that we have to take a little inventory, to be honest, to judge the fruit, and to perhaps be shown that as we head into 2021, maybe there's opportunity for change. Maybe there's even need for some new normals in our lives as individuals and as households and as a congregation. So I kind of feel like the Holy Spirit's just guiding us as we, as we enter into a new year with some simple reminders. First one being what God wants for us and what is best for us are one and the same. We do not have to go looking to any other source as we try to make 2021 a better year than 2020. There's no other source we have to go to. There's no expert, there's no fad, there's no thing, there's no outcome or any other source of this world that we need to seek after. God has the answer. God has the why, God has the path, God has the plan, God has the everything. Everything we need. He's perfect, he has perfect wisdom, he has perfect understanding, he knows the end from the beginning, and he's good. And he loves his own. And as we've talked about for several weeks now, his desire is to make a difference in our lives. Part of the way in which those are some loud heels. Can you tiptoe a little bit or something? It's always been the reality of the God of the Bible that he wants to make himself known. And the specific ways in which he makes himself known often are through his own people. He wants to make a distinction in our lives. He wants to, if I can be so bold, he wants to show off through us. He wants to show he's real through our lives and through our marriages and through our kids and through our joy and through our hope and through our peace and through every other good way that he can be put on display in his, his people. And so he's just reminded me that, yeah, the path to a better 2021 is very simple. Focus more on God. <laughs> Focus more on God. Focus less on the world. Focus less on myself. Focus more on him. Make sure that he is the center of every part of my life. And so that direction can be and is pretty vague. So he even gave us a couple of handles to hold on to to, to really be able to specifically judge the fruit Judging the fruit is about just taking a look in the mirror, right? What is my life producing? 
It's very easy to deceive ourselves about the things of God. We just go off our feelings. Or we let our pride puff us up. He's trying to move us beyond that, that step of maturity that moves beyond our feelings to say no, to know what's going on, you gotta judge the fruit. So the fruit in our life is very important. It reveals where we are as it relates to God being the center of all things. And he says, there's three real specific things that you can judge the fruit on. First is your first works. What are first works? Those are you and the Lord together alone. First works are separate from congregational gatherings. They're separate from our group Bible studies. First works are when it's just you and him. And everything starts there, saints. As it relates to God being the center of our life, everything starts with first works. That's why they're called first works. And intimacy with God, intimacy with the God of the Bible has been bought at a very high price. To forsake or to neglect that in any way, literally, Jesus says, it's like missing the point. So if we look at the, the God part of our life and it is full of church stuff, but lacking intimacy, we got a problem. Everyone hear what I'm saying there? Intimacy with the Lord is number one. It's the purchase. It's the, it's the purpose for which you've been purchased. And I've been purchased. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with me. No degree of separation. No distraction. Just you and him. Secondly, and a direct outflow of the coming to know the Lord through our intimacy will be obedience and walking in his ways. It's just a direct outflow. The more you know the Father, the more you want to be like him. The more you want to walk in his ways. The more you trust and believe that his ways are good. The more you know the Father, the less of the lies you'll believe which are God's ways are a burden or God's ways are oppressive or God's ways are legalistic, right? All of those lies literally become comical when you know the Father, right? So, so if your obedience is lacking, it's, it's because of one of two things. One, and, and often you don't have intimacy with the Father. You do not know him that way, and so therefore he is not transforming you, and the flesh is always going to resist his commandments. Secondly, is you believe in a lie, a lie, a, a lie that comes against God's commandments, and we're going to talk about that again today, so I'll, I'll just leave that for now, but we'll move on to number three, and, and thirdly, it's uh, once you have a life of intimacy with the Father, similar to how Jesus displayed it in his walk, you have um, a household aligned with uh, God's ways and his commandments and his statutes and his precepts and his judgments, then it will just be natural because you are already holy and set apart, distinct from the rest of the world, it's just natural that God's going to put you on display now. And he is going to use you as a mouthpiece to speak by his spirit, his words, right? So that is going to be specifically commitment to his work in the earth. 
as Jesus was a, according to his titles, true and faithful witness, that's what every one of us are called to be, a witness to the reality that the God of the Bible is real. And he wants to show the difference he makes in, in our lives off to the whole world so that more will say yes. More will be drawn to repentance and, and reconciled to the Father through Christ. That is the global takeover called the kingdom of heaven. And as each of us are swept up into that ourselves, we are immediately turned around and put into that work, invited to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. So these are excellent categories, if you will, separate in, in several ways, but, but all intimately tied to one another. Great categories to judge the fruit where you sit in each of those areas. As we turn the page and move into a new calendar year, if there is room for improvement, we want to know how to go about taking those steps. And that took us last week to a, a theological discussion and teaching regarding the first and second covenant and specifically for the purpose of exposing a lie that Satan has snuck into Christ's work on the cross and the fulfillment of the first covenant and the establishment of the second covenant. We, we, know, um, we know from Revelation 12, 17 that Satan is currently on the earth doing what? Making war. Making war. Against who? Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's a very important verse, very important truth, that whether we know it or not, believe it or not, does not matter. It's the truth. The enemy of God is currently on the earth making war against those who have been called to God and who are seeking to keep his commandments. And one of the ways in which he has made war, and this is the lie we exposed last week, is by coming against the commandments themselves. Now, is it likely that if Satan was going to do that, it would have been prophesied about? Yes, right? Pretty much anything that's going to happen or did happen or will happen, has been prophesied about, especially the big things. So would we, like, would we likely or expect to find some kind of a prophecy that Satan would at some point come against the commandments of God? Absolutely. Anyone know where it is? Daniel chapter 7, I believe, uh, when he says the, the enemy will come against the saints of the Most High and he will seek to do what? Change the law and the times. Okay, so, so it was prophesied about that one of the ways that Satan is going to make war with God's people is he is going to somehow come against God's commandments. Now, that doesn't seem like um, a likely target, right? It seems like if we are all in agreement that the God of the Bible is real 
and the God of the Bible has given us commandments on how to live, it would seem like those commandments would be pretty bulletproof, right? If it's from the God of the Bible, and we believe in the God of the Bible. But what Satan has done is he's, is he's used the small opportunity that this miraculous event on the cross accomplished as a little bit of an opening. And he's thrown into that little bit of opening, that little bit of confusion, that little lack of understanding of exactly what Christ accomplished on the cross. And he has slipped into that. Well, one of the things that Christ accomplished was he abolished the law, right? Which would do what? Which would automatically come against all of God's commandments. God's commandments are no longer necessary because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, the law is now done away with, right? When you sit where most of us sit and have read and understand the word of God as, as you know, to the extent that we do, I know that seems comical, right? But the deception has been incredibly successful successful it unfortunately has and one of the reasons that it has is because uh of the the other piece of this that we talked about the last couple of weeks is the flesh right paul is very very clear regarding the flesh and how the flesh sees god which is how susie Unable. I mean, literally, not, not unwilling, unable. The natural man is at enmity with God or the enemy of God. The flesh is opposed to the spirit. The natural man cannot submit to the law of God, nor will he ever. The things of the spirit are foolishness to the natural man, right? So if you have a natural man, by the way, is who? Everybody, right? So if you want to slip into the church Oh, yeah, you don't have to keep the commandments anymore. Who does that lie appeal to? The whole natural man and every one of them, right? That's what makes it such a beautiful deception is it gives the natural man everything the natural man wants, right? It's something like this. Jesus lived the perfect life, died on the cross in your place, so all you have to do now is say this special prayer and you'll get to go to heaven when you die, right? And you can live from this point forward until that day pretty much however you want because you're protected by Christ. What an awesome deception. What an awesome offer to the natural man. I can do whatever I want, live however I want, continue to reject the things of God and still go to heaven when I die because Jesus died on the cross in my place. That really is good news. <laughs> right? To the natural man, that's really good news. And that's unfortunately how it's been sold and how it's been taught for almost our entire generation. And you do not have to go very far to sit in a church service on a Sunday morning and hear someone say something about the grace of God, about the uh, work of Jesus on the cross, completely abolishing the laws of God.
I pray one more time that the saints of NCC will never, ever, ever fall for that deception. That our eyes have been fully opened to the lunacy of thinking that Jesus went to the cross because God needed to be changed. Listen to me. The whole reason we went over that teaching last week, saints, is for this purpose. We know that the first covenant was going to be replaced. Right? We know that the first covenant was going to be replaced. We know that a second covenant has been established into which we've been invited. But the lie has been that needed to take place because God needed to change. What he wanted in the first covenant needed to change. What he expected in the first covenant needed to change. Well, what was expected in the first covenant? God wanted to reveal himself to a group of people. He wanted to call that group of people to himself. He wanted that group of people to be holy and obedient unto him. And he wanted them to be a witness and a vessel through which the whole world would come to see and know that the God of the Bible is real. This was the purpose of the old covenant. These were the parameters of the old covenant. This is God's heart. And to think that Jesus went to the cross to change any of this would be to believe that Jesus went to the cross to change God. What a human-centered, egocentric belief. What a flesh-centered belief. God's laws needed to be done away with. We are right. We are okay. That needed to change. Uh-uh. The whole point last week was to... Was to be crystal clear that the, that the covenant, second covenant needed to be established not because this needed to be changed. What needed to be changed? We did. Did everyone hear that? A second covenant had to be established not because God needed to be changed. Not God's heart, not God's desire, not God's expectations, not God's will, not God's plan, not God's purposes, no part of God's law, no part of his ways, his statutes, his judgments, or his precepts, absolutely no part of it was wrong. Absolutely no part of it was wrong. Absolutely no part of it needed to be changed. God is perfect. His heart is perfect. His ways are perfect. His desire is perfect. His invitation was perfect. Every part of it was right. Jesus had to go to the cross not to change God or any of this. He went to the cross to change us. Okay, and hopefully coming to that understanding will forever protect the commandments of God. Everyone see why we did that? Everyone understand why we did that? Okay, so that leads us to then if we, if we are in agreement that the second covenant was necessary to be established because we needed to change, mankind needed to be dealt with. We are the ones that need transformation. We are the ones that need to submit. We are the ones that need to conform. Right? Are we all in agreement there? Once we are in agreement there, it would begin then, we should begin to think, okay, well then, 
if the, if the second covenant is established to then change us, not change this, if the second covenant is established to change us, would we expect to have prophecy in alignment with that? Would we expect that there would be prophecy agreeing with and foretelling of that reality? Absolutely. Okay, before we get to the prophecy, let's go to Paul explaining this in Hebrews chapter 8. Someone please read verses 1 through 6, Hebrews chapter 8. Thank you, Angie. Okay, so one of the New Testament letters that contains lots and lots of teaching, um, kind of comparing and contrasting and showing the transition between the first covenant and the second covenant is the book of Hebrews. It's what makes it, by the way, one of the, kind of in my opinion, one of the more confusing books to read. This is deep stuff that Paul is teaching on here. And... Um, we're not going to get into it a ton, but, but I just want to highlight uh, chapter 8, verse 6. Angie, if you want to read that one more time. This is specifically speaking about the second covenant. Okay, so is the second covenant better than the first? Yeah. Absolutely. Right? This is a better covenant. Let's be crystal clear. What's the second covenant established to change? Us. Does God's ways get better? No, they're perfect. Does God's commandments get better? Nope, they're perfect. Does God's desires get better? Nope, they're perfect. Does his will and his intention and his invitation? No. No part of God improves. God is always perfect. Don't ever think that the second covenant is better because God's doing something better on his own. God's perfect. He doesn't need any improvement and never has. He's never needed to be changed. He's never needed to be improved. He's always been right. So when the author of Hebrews, Paul, possibly, says that the second covenant is better, we need to understand this is for you and I. The better thing is, is, is you and I are going to be offered something. It's a better covenant established on what? Better promises. Who do you think these better promises are for? Us. Why? Because the second covenant is for us. The second covenant is to change us. Does God need better promises? Nope. God doesn't need any better promises. 
God doesn't need any better gifts. He doesn't need any better opportunities. God doesn't need anything. He's already perfect. Everything he wants is perfect. Everything he has said is perfect. Everything he's established is perfect. Everything he's invited us into is perfect. So we need to be very, very clear. When the second covenant is described as being better and offering better promises, we should have an idea that these better promises are going to be for you and I changing. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay, good. You're 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 one step ahead of me. Okay. Yes, sir, Michael. Exactly right. Good. So a second covenant established only through a single mediator, a single high priest a ministry that is more excellent and built upon better promises. Listen to me. We need to hear. When, when the Bible says there are better promises, we need to automatically think, okay, something is being promised to you and I that's going to change you and I. The promise to you and I is not that the law is done away with. Please hear me. The promise is that you and I are going to be changed because the law is good and God's ways are perfect. And he still wants a holy people set apart unto himself. He still wants them to be obedient. He still wants to make a difference in their life. He still wants them to be faithful witnesses and vessels through which he can make his name known in the earth. None of that has changed. We're the ones that needed to be changed. So he decided that he was going to establish a second covenant that was going to include promises that were specifically given to you and I in order to do what? Change us. Listen to me now. Now let's get into it. Does God want this in the second covenant? Yep. Does God want this in the second covenant? Yep. Does God want this in the second covenant? Wait a minute, though. I've been taught my whole life that when Christ died on the cross, the law was abolished. So what does he want? So, so why do you say he wants us to be obedient? Right? This is the question that a lot of people ask. This is a lot of, this is a big point of confusion. In the second covenant, does God require obedience and holiness? Listen to me. That is not common knowledge. Yes, in the second covenant, God expects his people to be holy and set apart. That is the theme of scripture, not just from the First cover to the midway point. Obedience is the theme of scripture from the first cover to the back cover. And throughout, in every story, in every book, in everything, obedience is a central theme of scripture. It never changes. It's why Exodus 19 and Revelation 5 sound practically identical. Right? What are those passages? Exodus 19, I have called you up on the mountain, calls Moses up on the mountain. He says to tell the people of Israel, I am calling you to myself and you will be for me a what? A nation of priests and kings, holy and set apart. What does Revelation 5 say? By your blood, you have purchased men from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. You have made us to be a what? Nation of priests and kings. And we will reign with Christ on earth forever. 
It never changes. No parts of this ever change. The Bible is a gigantic loop. It's why Revelation 21 and 22 sounds so close to Genesis 1 and 2. God gets what God wants. What God wants has never changed. Yes, ma'am, you're coming out of your seat. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. So, exactly right. So, if obedience, if obedience is a theme that never changes, would it have made sense for Jesus, who would know because he's omnipotent, would he would he have known that Satan at some point was going to slip into the whole cross story, this deception that the law has been done away with? Absolutely, he would have known that. Right, So as a good shepherd leading his sheep, would it have made sense for him to at some point give a teaching that says, by the way, the law of God is in place? Did he do that? The very first thing out of his mouth, Matthew chapter 5. Most assuredly, I tell you that not one jot or tittle will by any means from the law pass until heaven and earth pass away and all is fulfilled. Heaven and earth ain't passed away until the very end, right before the right, great right throne of judgment in Revelation 20. The heaven and earth flee, right? And then Revelation chapter 21 starts off with, Behold, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The witnesses are no longer needed because we move into the age to come. The very first teaching, almost the first words out of Jesus' mouth were, The law is in place. So to Darlene's point, why did he come? Most assuredly, or do not even think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to do what? Fulfill them. And that word fulfill really means put on display. I came to put them on display. I, I came to walk them out perfectly so you can see exactly what holiness looks like. So you can see exactly how good God's ways are. Is Jesus an admired man? Is, is how he lived inspiring? Is it beautiful? Is it breathtaking? Is it what... Every one of us aspire to be absolutely. What did he do regarding the law? He kept it perfectly. So to think that he abolished the law would mean that we automatically then are supposed to no longer live anything like Jesus who walked in God's ways perfectly. Does that make any sense? If obedience is a theme that covers the entirety of Scripture, how late in the Word of God would we expect obedience to be covered? How about the last page of the Bible? Revelation twenty-two fourteen says what? Someone find it real quick. Bonnie, you got it? Oh. Wait a minute. <laughs> Obedience to the commandments is an Old Covenant thing. Obedience to the commandments is an Old Testament thing. Obedience to the commandments is no longer necessary if you're born again. I'm telling you, saints, this lie is believed because this lie is taught. Because this lie has been slipped into what could be possibly confusing regarding the cross and it absolutely fills churches with carnal people fills them fills conference centers with carnal people it's a million dollar lie 
And lots and lots of fame and fortune and huge ministries are built upon this lie. So we got to stick with what's written. This hasn't changed. This hasn't changed. So this automatically hasn't changed. And it's only when we do this that we can be this. Are you hearing me? It's only when we are holy and set apart and walking in God's ways that we can be a faithful witness and a true vessel in the earth. How else can we stand apart? By being louder? Because people try that. By being meaner? Because people try that. Right? By being more exclusive? Because they've tried that. In every other religious, legalistic, self-righteous nonsense, none of it works. All it ever does is turn people away from the God of the Bible. So none of that's changed. One of the reasons we need to understand that the commandments of God will never change is that the commandments of God are truth. Think about that. To think that the commandments were to change or be done away with Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 119, 142 says that your laws are truth. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your laws are truth. So if the laws of God are truth, at what point does truth change? Because Jesus went to the cross? All right, listen to this. Listen to this as an example. I love to use this as an example. I just want to make this real quick point. Um, when thinking about the commandments of God being truth, this is an awesome example. All right, so let's go real quick. This, is, this teaching is not about um, the dietary um, laws, but, but the dietary laws make an awesome example. So go to Revelation, I mean, I'm sorry, Leviticus 11. Go to Leviticus 11, and someone please read verses 1 through 8. Now, a super high percentage of the churches this, these days will never, ever, ever talk about what we eat. You will not hear that in church. But what we are trying to do is align with what God wants, right? Because it's what's best for us. So we need to understand that the God of the Bible has actually informed absolutely every area of our life. There's not a single area of our life that the God of the Bible has not informed, including what and how we eat, okay? Not talked about in church, right? It just ain't. It ain't popular, especially to the carnal man. But, but guess what? God has informed us on what to eat. And, and listen to how he goes about doing this. You got it, Michael? Listen, listen to... Um, listen to what's being communicated. And this is under the, uh, uh, under the um, keep this as your lens. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your laws are truth. So everything that God commands us is truth. Okay, so he commands us about what to eat. That's truth. Well, what's true about it? What, is, what, is it, what does the word say, Michael? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, 
These you shall not eat among those that chew the cud, or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rat hires, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The head, because it chooses the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. Okay, now listen to me. This is I'm just using this as an example. God's laws are what? Truth. Listen to me. At no point in the word of God does it say his laws are Jewish. At no point in the word of God does it say his laws are religious. At no point in, in the word does it say his laws are Old Covenant or, or, or Old Testament. There's no time frame put on them. There's no people group put on them. They're just truth. So when he explains about what to eat, he, he's making a distinction, right? He says that there are some animals that are to be eaten because they are clean, and there are some animals that are not to be eaten because they are unclean. And when he's describing the animals in each of those groups, what is he describing? Food and non-food. Right, right, food and non-food categorically, but detail-wise, what is he describing? What they eat. Why? Because what they eat affects their meat. I'm blowing minds right now. I, hear, I, can, I can feel it. What they eat affects their meat. What they eat affects their flesh. Now, who would know that? Maybe the one that created them. Who... How does an animal know what they're going to eat? Because God put it in them to eat something, eat some stuff and not other stuff. How do they process what they eat? However, God decided to have them process it. Right? So he said based on what an animal eats and how it processes what it eats, it's either going to be good for food or not good for food. Guys, that is truth. It's not Jewish. It's not religious. It's not some nonsense like... It's not bad. Yeah. I mean, the, the categories it gets, put to, it gets put in are all ridiculous. It's just truth. It's truth. And guess what truth has confirm, confirmed, confirmed? Now, let's take pork, for example, and this is the one that steps on everybody's toes. Right? What do you think science has confirmed about pork? and pig flesh in particular. It's literally the most toxic meat on the planet. More toxins and cancers and bacteria and filth than any other animal on the planet. Why? Because of what it eats and how it processes what it eats. Now, is, a pork, is pork bad? Nope. God created it for a purpose, and it fulfills its purpose perf perfectly. Guess what its purpose was not to be? On your plate and mine. 
So to say we keep God's laws about what God says is, is food and not food, does that make us Jewish? That doesn't make much sense. It's just truth. Why do you make bacon taste so good? Uh, <laughs> a, a question I'll go to my grave asking. <laughs> Same with lobster and shrimp. Right? Same with clams. Because this is about... Um, you know, animals on the earth, there's also the same laws go to animals of the sea and birds, right? It's all the exact same stuff. It's all based on what they eat, how they eat, how they process what they eat, and what all of that does to their flesh. So then what is their purpose? The purpose? Pigs, pigs' purpose is to clean. Uh, so same with lobster, same with shrimp, same with clams, same with the birds of prey that we're not supposed to eat. They're all... Um, meat eaters. They're all scavengers and they all clean. They're the vacuum, the filters, which is precisely why all of their flesh is so dirty and toxic. God's so good. So you can either fight this, and this goes to your intimacy, right? You can fight this. If you don't know the Father, you will fight this because bacon is so, so doggone good. <laughs> and shrimp is so good right? And clams are so good. You'll fight it because we just, we just think with our, with our mouth, right? And with our feelings. But, but when you know the Father and when you know that everything God wants is what's best for us, you'll actually get extremely grateful that he actually, in his word, went before and described for us what food is good for us and what's not. Holy cow, what a gift, right? It's a gift, and what is the gift? The truth. It always is. God is the giver of the truth. And when we align with the truth, it doesn't make us Jewish. Guys, you know what I think it makes us? Smart. Did he say like a certain or, maybe, or maybe wise. A lot of it was bad. Right. And, and, and we, we'll all I mean, testify. Yeah. No. It's a, it's a great question, and that is the truth, right? Especially if you are born again, guess what? We are covered by the blood, and we do have grace. And Paul says, everything is available to me. Not everything is good for me. So, so will all of us that have made the intentional step to align with the dietary laws, will we experience a blessing that comes with that? A hundred percent, Right? Bacon and pork are, are probably the most popular meat product in our country, right? Things like lobster and shrimp and shellfish, they're all celebrated, right? They're, they're, they're celebrated in our culture. What is the number one Easter meal, saints? Listen to me. I mean, the enemy seeks to do what? Change the law and the times. How successfully has he done that, right? So, so if, if, you know, and, we, and we've made the decision to eat you know, to eat what God calls food and not eat what God calls not food. But have we been put in situations where pork was the only thing we could eat and did we eat it? Yes. Do I think that offended God in any way? No, he knows our hearts. He knows uh, our desire to align with his purposes, but we went to someone's home that that's how they were serving and we weren't going to dishonor or humiliate them. So we just ate a little bit. Yes, ma'am.
Always. From being obedient. Always. That it doesn't make me want to have, right. you know what I mean? So I think it's not even that, like, I, I, I don't know. For me, it's all about the obedience. The more obedient I am, the, the easier it is to do something else that he's called me to do. Yeah. Yep. Because if I don't give something else S- that I Small do, steps of obedience always lead to bigger steps of obedience. And likewise, small steps of disobedience also always lead to more disobedience. So this is about, you know, what are we, what are we looking at? Ultimately, we want to know how we can make steps in the right direction in each of these areas. One of the ways that we need to recognize that we don't improve in these areas by trying harder, that's the whole reason we're looking at this di- distinction between the first covenant and the second covenant. If you could walk this out by trying harder, the first covenant would have worked. Right? Wouldn't need Christ. We would be the savior. We would be the hero. We would be the center of the story. It was all pointing to Christ. So the second covenant, being a better covenant with better promises, we are the ones that need to change. Right? So again, we should expect that there would be promises with this second covenant that are fundamentally going to change us. Why does God never change? Because he's perfect. Why do his commandments don't change? Because they're truth. Listen to me. When Jesus gave up his life on the cross, think about this. When Jesus gave up his life on the cross, that moment when his spirit was given up, what did that moment do to pig flesh? It didn't do anything. Pig flesh is still unclean because of what they eat and how they eat and what they process. And how they process. That makes sense? It didn't change the truth. It doesn't change a single truth. Not a single one of them. It doesn't change a single one of God's commandments when Jesus gave up his spirit. So what did that buy us? What did that get for us? What are the promises that Christ gave his life for? That's the question we're going to ask. All right? So turn, turn with me to Jeremiah 31. And someone read. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Yep. And if we can really understand yep. and just embrace everything. Beautiful. Pointed out. Absolutely. And it was revealed in Revelation 5 yep. that the Lamb was the only one worthy. That's right. To complete the rest of Amen. the Amen. Yep. Every detail is every detail communicates the same truth. Beautiful, beautiful, Susie. I totally agree. Beautiful. Every detail reveals the same truth. God's done. God didn't need to be changed. God's ways don't need to be changed. The truth doesn't need to be changed. Everything he desires is still the same. We were the ones that needed to be dealt with. So something needed to be given to us. Something needed to be promised to us. So what was it? Jeremiah 31. Someone please read 31 through 34.
Okay, so here's what's coming in this new covenant. Listen closely. Okay, we talked about everything that God promises us. He, he speaks through the prophets. I think it's Amos or, or one of the prophets says, surely God does not do a thing before first revealing it through his prophets, right? So if a second covenant was coming, and if that second covenant was in order to change us, and if there were promises associated with that second covenant specific to us being changed, we could and should expect for them to be spoken about in the prophets. Well, guess what? Here they are. Here it is. And one of the first things specifically promised to us in the second covenant is what? A freaking heart transplant. Why? Because we needed to change. But it's not just a heart transplant. What we are given is a heart and a mind that have what? The commandments of God written on them. Does that sound like a promised gift that would be beneficial for you and I changing? Does that sound like a promised gift that would be beneficial for not repeating the same train wreck as the first covenant? Beautiful, right? Now listen to me. Go back to um, Hebrews chapter 8. This passage is refer referenced in Hebrews chapter 8, which should make sense because, as I said, Hebrews is that one book or one of the books that really specifically kind of goes back and forth between the first covenant and the second covenant. And listen to what is spoken now here uh, in verses. Someone please read 7 through 13. Hebrews chapter 8, 7 through 13, please. Nice and loud. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Okay, now most of the church, having read that verse right there, would automatically think what needs to change? God's side. The fault of the first covenant was on God's side. The fault on the first covenant was what God wanted. The fault on the first covenant were, was with God's laws. Again, what a human-centered, flesh-centered, ego-centered conclusion to jump to. Yes, ma'am. I was just saying, you know the scripture that talks about how even, like, a good, a, an earthly father gives good gifts? Mm -hmm. And we just read in Jeremiah that piece where he gives us his gift. If Jesus was to do away with all this, why would God give us a gift we couldn't even get? Exactly. You realize if Jesus' work on the cross did away with the law, that Psalm 119 is absolutely obsolete. The whole psalm is obsolete. Psalm 1, obsolete. You know, so many, so many of our favorite passages that talk about walking in God's ways and keeping his commandments and the goodness of his laws and statutes and his judgments, if Jesus did away with it, none of those even matter anymore. The whole first three quarters of the book is gone. Does that sound accurate does that sound right it's just not but that's the conclusion the first covenant if the first covenant was faultless there'd be no need for a second we automatically look to the god side 
Guess what's being communicated? It's not God's side that needed to be changed. It's this side. Continue, Darlene. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant, Disagreed. Disregarded. Them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach us, teach his neighbor or none his brother. Okay, so those words are so tantalizing to the flesh. When we hear, man, thank goodness, the, the first covenant is obsolete, and what's becoming obsolete is vanishing away. What's the first thing the flesh hears is vanishing away? Whew, no longer got to keep the commandments. I can do whatever I want to do. But read what precedes that. What's the very specific truth that is communicated that precedes the absolute truth that the first covenant is going away? What's taught? That a second covenant is coming, and the gift of that second covenant is the law that we want to do away with is being written on our hearts, and it's being put in our minds. Does that make any sense? Would God put something in our heart and on our minds that's getting ready to vanish away. Right? We've, been, we've, been, we've looked at it backwards the whole time. We've always assumed it was God's side that needed to be changed. It's always been us. And what does God give us first and foremost to aid in that transformation? A heart transplant. Holy cow. An unbelievable gift. Number two. Um... Ezekiel 36, chapter, 20, chapter 36, verses 26, 25 through 27. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Remember the question was, if a second covenant was coming... And if the purpose of the second covenant being a more excellent ministry was for us to be changed, because God doesn't need changing, would we expect there to be prophecy in alignment with promises being given to us or gifts being given to us that would aid in us being changed or us being transformed? Absolutely. One of those is in Jeremiah 31. 
What is the promise? A heart transplant. What is unique about the new heart we are given? It's got the laws of God written on it. Now, the prophet uh, Ezekiel says in chapter 36, 25 through 27. Someone got it? Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgment and do them. So what is promise number two? A new spirit. Promise number one, a new heart. Promise number two, a new spirit. Promise number one, a heart with the laws of God written on it. Promise number two, his very spirit that will move us to keep those commandments. Is that a thorough, better ministry with better promises, complete to accomplish the, the thing that needed to change? Okay, so, so now let's think about it. Go to John 16, verses 7 and 8. Central to the new covenant are these better promises. We've got to, from this point forward, remember the second covenant is about changing us. So if there are promises of the second covenant, those promises are likely going to align with you and I being changed. Those promises are clearly prophesied about. One of them is a new heart with the law of God written on it. The second is a new spirit, which will be his very spirit that will move us to keep his commandments. Now listen to what Jesus says. Someone reads John 16, 7 through 8. Would Jesus have known the changes coming associated with the second covenant? 100%. Would he have known the promises that are coming? 100%. Would he, would he have known why these promises were going to be given? 100%. Would his words likely align with what we're being shown right now? What's he say? 16, 7, and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What was, what was Ezekiel, the prophet's? promise that when my spirit when i put my spirit in you it will move you to do what keep my ways align with my statutes my judgments my precepts jesus says to his disciples it's better that i go because when i go that particular promise can be fulfilled what is that promise god's going to put his spirit in you and when he puts his spirit in you that spirit's job is very specific move you to keep his ways move you to obey Moved by what? Conviction. Okay, so now go to Acts chapter 1. Remember when Jesus told the disciples, you got to wait? Why do they got to wait? Go to chapter, Acts chapter 1 and read, read 4 through 8. We're almost done. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Kel, you got it? Or, Diane, go ahead. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, 
For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not, may, not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons for which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, so the, pro the second promise is the giving of God's Spirit. And when the Spirit is given, it will convict the individual of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and it will lead them to be, according to Jesus in Acts chapter 1, the witness that we're called to be. So much so that we cannot leave, and they could not leave until that gift was given. All right, so listen to me now. Let's just, um, let's look at each of these things that doesn't change. We comprised, comprised this list looking at the old covenant and the invitation from God to the children of Israel. He desired to reveal himself to them. He desired to call them out of Egypt unto himself. He wanted to show a distinction between them and the rest of the world and therefore show that he is real. And their invitation was to be the witness in the vessel by which his name was made known. And none of that is changed. None of that is different. None of that is in, improved in any way in the new covenant. All the new covenant deals with is what went wrong in this one and that was sinful fleshly man couldn't do it wouldn't do it and paul teaches us the why very clearly in the new covenant or in the new testament so that why is the and understanding that why gives us great clarity then as to why the second covenant needed to be established we needed to be dealt with not God, us. And so Paul says a, a, a more excellent ministry built on better promises was coming. And so we think logically, well, if, if there's better promises coming, maybe there were something, promises that were prophesied about, and lo and behold, we see two specific promises prophesied about, a step, a, a, tied to a second covenant, and those promises are all about us. So let's, let's look at how each of these work in the new covenant. Okay? How does God reveal himself in the new covenant? Don't overthink it. But, good. Is that clear? That the revelation of God in the, new, in the old covenant was... The God of the old, the God of the, the Bible, Creator God, Burning Bush, Mount Sinai, in every other way. That revelation of that same God is in Christ in the New in the New Covenant or New Testament. Okay, how does God? How does this God call us to Himself? Yeah? How does he call us to himself? 
we got to be born again. Can I remember, how did God reveal himself uh, to the Israelites? Through Moses, through the plagues, right? How does God ultimately free and call the people to himself? Passover, the marking of the blood of the unblemished lamb, right? This was all pointing as a type and shadow towards the larger reality. Same God revealed in the person of Christ, Basically, the same protocol for being called unto himself. you got to be marked by the blood of the true and blemished lamb. you got to be born again. Does he expect his people to be holy and obedient? And does he expect his people to be witnesses in a vessel in the earth? So the combination of the new heart with the word of God written on it and the new spirit, his spirit, given to us to compel us or convict us to walk in his ways, to obey his voice. The New Testament writers refer to what we become once we are born again and given these two gifts that we become a brand new creation with a new nature, a new man, right? So all of this is precisely why um, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again, right? The only way that we enter into this second covenant is to be joined to Christ, to be born again, right? So we have to um, recognize these gifts of the second covenant as inheritances, as some of the New Testament writers would describe them. They are inheritances given to those who have been adopted. And to those who are adopted, they are promises that change our very nature and cause us to be everything that God has always called us to be. So this is why um, being born again is where all of this starts. And it's also where um, I cannot and I never will stop from challenging all of us to continuously know that we belong to him. So how do you know if you've been given a new nature? Because there are a ton in the church who have been essentially told if you would like to go to heaven when you die you need to come forward and say this prayer and in this prayer you're going to admit that you're a sinner and you're going to ask Jesus into your heart and somehow some way that's going to be enough to go to heaven when you die 
And the problem with that protocol is that it's found nowhere in Scripture. It doesn't align with Scripture in any way. And virtually all the people that have believed that lie and gone through that process have not been given a new nature. And the reality is, saints, listen to me, if you've not been given a new nature, you won't even want heaven. Right? Do you realize that? What is heaven? It's everything of God. It's everything that's true. It's everything that's his. It's everything the flesh hates. It's everything the flesh rebels against. It's everything the flesh can't understand. It's everything the flesh won't submit to. Right? So if you don't have a new nature, you don't even want to transition into the age to come. Right? So we got we to gotta be like super, super honest. How do you know if you have a new nature or not? How do you know if you have this new nature or not? Okay, you gotta you gotta know internally that something has been given to inside you that you could not do on your own. You could not love God on your own until this new nature came. You could not want God until this new nature came. You could not understand his laws until this new nature came. You could not want his laws until this new nature came. You cannot want to be around his people until this new nature came. You cannot reject the things of the world until this new nature came. Right? So you got to be dead honest about your own internal. Right? Like was said, the old covenant was all externally. It was written on stone. It was external. It could be, you could be swept up in, in the congregation in the old covenant. You could be along for the ride in the old covenant. Right? Because it was all external. It was all just try harder. Tradition. It was all tradition. Yeah. Right? The priests were doing all the heavy lifting. Right? In the new covenant, Jesus says through, through the prophet Jeremiah, it's not going to be people saying you need to know the Lord. Everyone that's been given this new nature is going to know and want the Lord. Nobody gets dragged along in the new covenant. So what, do we, so what does it mean when we see people getting dragged along, when we see churches full of people that don't want to be there? You know, when worship has to change to fit earthly desires instead of honoring God, when the carnality of the, of the model has to just keep getting increased and increased and increased and increased, right? It's because they're not, it's, it's all false converts. Old nature being given the only thing old nature will tolerate, right? This is why Jesus never cared about numbers. I don't care if there's five of us as long as they're born again because that's all that matters. You hear what I'm saying? If you do not know whether or not you're born again, we've got to get to the bottom of that. How do you not know if you just don't want to be around the people of God, if you don't want to think about the things of God, if you don't want to align with the ways of God, if you don't want to reject the things of the world. If the things of the world are, are growing in their, in their distaste to you, those are the only ways you know if the Spirit's inside of you. I think it's Romans 7, 
Somewhere in Romans 7 literally says, if the Holy Spirit is not inside of you, you do not belong to God. I don't care how many prayers you have made. Do not care. Don't care how many altar calls you've, you've walked up and participated in. If the Holy Spirit is, in, is not inside of you, you do not belong to God. So we have to judge the internal fruit. Right, here's a great question. If the doors of NCC shut for whatever reason, right, what would your Sabbath look like? Do you have an internal desire to align with the things of God? What would your worship look like if you could no longer attend a church service? What does your desire for the word look like if you don't have a pastor teaching you? Right, these are great questions to ask. And if there is any thought, any hesitation, any lack of absolute clarity that the Spirit of God is inside of you and that you have a new nature that's, that's been changed, then that's to, that's the, that is literally the, the law leading you to Christ, right? Which is what it's intended to do. It's, it's only by the law and, and your unwillingness and, and lack of a desire to align with it. That's the only way you ever know how fallen we are and how our sin nature will just reject. Yes, sir. Yeah, 100%. That's a great point, Michael. One of the best ways to know what's inside of you, to use Scott Black's analogy, is what comes out when you get squeezed. You know, it's, it's amazing to me, and, and guys, this is another thing that the Spirit of God inside of you will give you eyes to see is false converts and, and just the, the deception and... and um, counterfeit church false converts they're just they're so there's such a high percentage of them and it's always a little bit of pressure a little bit of squeezing a little bit of you know chaos or whatever and and they just abandon god you know and that's always they they can believe going into those moments that they're born again right they'll, they'll they may maybe even were baptized right but if you did not Come to Christ fully repentant, recognizing that you literally cannot love him, right? And asked for that new nature and that new heart and that new spirit. And we're given that new heart and that new spirit. Unless that's happened, I don't care if you think you're born again. You have to judge the fruit. And one of the best ways to judge the fruit is what comes out when you get squeezed. Yeah. 
fixed on his eyes on it, takes his eyes off and throws it deep in the water. Yep. Um, I really, I, this week I read Proverbs 3, 5, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Amen. I had to, that's why this is like, this all circles back to intimacy. If I didn't have the intimacy, because I was actually questioning myself, mm-hmm. you know, do I really, do I really believe? Yep. Do I really, I'm now in this for the storm right yeah. now. Do mm-hmm. I really believe that he's going to get me through or do I, am I thinking I'm that great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to muscle up and I'm going to get through the storm on my own. Mm-hmm. And he brought me to my knees to make me realize that there's not one ounce of me getting through anything right. like that. Right. So this is a great um, segue to my closing. The the struggle that you're giving voice to is the struggle that all truly, authentically born-again saints of the one true living God have, which is the battle between the old man and the new man, and the old nature and the new nature. So that is not to be confused with not having the new nature. Okay, so those are two very, very different things. Um, but in the midst of the storm and in the midst of the struggle, y- you can lose clarity. Okay, so, so, but that's okay. That's all part of the deal. Paul struggled with the exact same thing, right? Everyone, all of us will. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin um, a discussion and some study of how do we walk in this, this new nature and put off the old nature. All right, that's the, that's, the, that's the answer to the question of each of these areas of life improving, right? To bring this thing back full circle, we were looking at each of these areas of our life, evaluating where we sit in each of those areas and saying, all right, if we're going to make 21, 2021 more about God being the center of our life, then our score for each of these areas needs to go up, right? The whole discussion on the covenants was to help us not make the mistake, well, I just got to try harder in each of these areas, right? If this was about trying harder, the first covenant would have been just fine, right? So what is this about? This is about us walking in our new nature more than our old nature and us walking in our new man more than walking in our old man in each of these areas and that is not specifically accomplished by trying harder there is very specific ways that the word teaches us how we do that how we put off the old man and how we put on the new man you guys want to hear it you want to know about that i do i'm super excited about it I know the Spirit of God is inside of me. I know the law of God's written on my heart. I know my kids are born again. I know my wife is born again. It is impossible for these guys to be who they are in their flesh. I'm telling you, Kelly, your life has been an encouragement to me to the miracle that happens when someone is born again. You say things and do things that are impossible for someone that doesn't have the Spirit of God in them to say and do. And, and I could say the same about all of you. To walk into your guys' room 
at night and hear the Bible playing. I never did that at your age, ever. Never. To see you in the Word every single morning, flesh wouldn't do it. There's evidence that you are born again. There's evidence that you are born again. Why could you get here 30 minutes early every time we're in this space? You think your flesh would want to worship God and be here early? There's only one reason you come early. The Spirit of God tells you, I want to worship. Right? We have to have something inside of us that proves the Spirit is there. And when it is there, okay, we put, the, we put to bed the, the question. Now we got to say, okay, it's maturity time. It's sanctification time. How do I walk in the new man and put off the old man? To a greater and greater degree, that's what's going to make 2021 amazing. That's what's going to make sure his place at the center of our life goes up and up and up and up. That's what's going to make sure that our commitment to this kingdom mission, uh, us being a true witness and real vessel, that's what's going to bring those things about. The new nature taken over. The Holy Spirit just taken over just owning us, possessing us to where this vessel is, just disappears. And it's just the spirit living, loving, teaching, prophesying, healing, everything God wants to do. It's going to be awesome. So here's your homework. Uh, start with Jesus and Nicodemus. This is John chapter 3. Nicodemus coming to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? The whole born again statement. Why would Jesus say that? Because unless you're born again, you don't get the inheritance. If you don't get the inheritance, you don't get the new heart and you don't get the new spirit. If you don't get the new heart and the new spirit, you cannot do this. God is not interested in behavior modification. He's not interested in, in the flesh hating it, but getting dragged along. He's interested in a, a new humanity, complete with a brand new heart and a brand new spirit and a brand new nature that love the things of God and desire the things of God and submit to the things of God and understand the things of God and teach others the things of God and lead others to the spirit of God. Okay, so John, John 3 and then um, these specific passages are all about new man, new nature, new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 1. Study those this week, and we'll dive into them next week. And Father, we pray that as we get into your word throughout the week, that your spirit would be the teacher that we would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and what it means to walk in our new man and what it means to put off our old man and what it means to walk in our new nature and what it means to put off our old nature. We just agree with the will and the purpose and the desire that you have for every individual, every household, and every member of this congregation. And we pray for perfect alignment.
conviction that would lead to that alignment. And Lord, for any that would hear this, that are not yet authentically born again, we pray for absolute truth to be heard and given to those people, that they would be shown mercy and more time right now to come to a, that moment of repentance for each that you have predestined and called to yourself to be holy and united to Christ. We contend and intercede for each of them to hear that call and say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, on that note, you can turn it off. Um, one of the things that the Lord was showing